The following is an archive podcast presented by the Branson and Hudson Foundation for Podcast Recovery. This podcast is entitled My Dinner with Andrew. It is the first and only episode of the podcast. Welcome to episode one. It's tough being a best-selling novelist. It's tough having to speak with professors and journalists regarding the societal impact of your work, going on book tours and getting bras thrown at you. Sometimes they get in your mouth. Every once in a while, a fan of your work goes on a shooting spree, and you have to go on Ellen and tell her that it was misinterpreted. The reasons you got into writing to express the human condition, to ponder love and loss, the lost feelings, rattling between the cracks of the fragile psyche... Those get replaced by contracts, deadlines, a million-dollar New York Times cocaine parties where David Franzen tries to make out with Tilda Swinton on a human bed composed of migrant workers in the prone position. I'm in the high hills north of Terre Haute. It is cool having rained yesterday. The air is thick with water. In my past life, I may have considered this an opportunity to forage for mushrooms or go, more, go mudding in a Ford F-150 Super Duty. Alas, that part of me has changed. I have cast down the oafish cold can for the noble's carafe, filled with vintages no less than a decade, from the dusky La Mancha vineyards to the evergreen hills of the Bourdois. Oh, how the wine talks to me. And I have listened. After a few voyages across the Atlantic, I thought one thing prudent. It's time to reunite with my former creative partner, Andrew Hudson. The year is 2058. It's been over 40 years since I first met Andrew. We were both dunce hat models at a very, for a very popular phrenologist. He had asked both in short commercial advertisements, and uh, Andrew got the speaking line, of course. I was very jealous at the time. The line was to be delivered after a bucket fell on your head, and you would say, do who who? Who turned the lights out? He nailed it. As much as it pains me to say, I've never seen such effortless talent. After a brief stint in podcasting together, we formed the famed but short-lived E1 TV show. We, will, we were canceled after a 56-minute skit that involved Bill Cosby and Louis C.K., both attempting to simultaneously sexually assault each other. It was the underwritten logic of the sketch that whoever was successful would, for some reason, be allowed back into show business. And then there was the incident between me and Andrew. Now here I am at a table at Overthur Vineyards, overlooking the metropolis of Terre Haute, trying to make amends. And although I see my friend walking down towards me now, I don't know what I'll say. Andrew, hello. It's been a long time. Uh, what... <clears throat> Why do you have these mics set up? How? What's? What is all this? Uh, I thought um, that maybe you know, for old times' sake, um, <clears throat> we could record our conversation so we could remember it together. Okay. Um, when you asked me to to dinner, I was a little bit hesitant uh, to come, but. Um, now that I see all this set up, I, I'm, I don't, I don't know, I'm not sure about this. Well, I, you know, it's it's been a long time, and you know, to be honest, uh, after ten years, uh, you know, maybe you just maybe you owe me a little. I owe you. You can just record this, you know. I've you could just record it as two old friends um, trying to rec reconnect, and you know. Were you doing an introduction when I was walking up? I heard you. Talking? Were you talking to yourself, or were you doing it? I may. You said David Franzen. Do you mean Jonathan Franzen, the author? Um, David Franzen is uh, Jonathan's son. We're very close friends now. Um, like most famous novelists nowadays, his father was a famous novelist. So was he named after David Foster Wallace? I wonder. The Tilda Swindon's the same though. It's the same one from when we were young. She just looks like shit now. <clears throat> yeah, his I mean, best she, friend David I think Foster she always Wallace. Did, Every, everyone, anyhow, everyone knows. Uh, everyone okay, knows. like, uh, listen. Well, I just I want to be fully up front. Here? Should I sit? Yeah, is this fine? I mean, it's still a dinner. We're still in a restaurant, so this, don't make a scene. Um, should I talk the, this close to this? Oh, that levels are going really high. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, hold on. Just you know, I want to be. You know, you notice the mics and stuff. Yes, and even though I cleverly hid them <clears> in that um, flower vase, 
Um, I'd also like you know, there's a couple cameras around. If you look to your right, you're going to see a couple there. Um, you know, this is all going to be edited, but, you know, kind of okay. thought I could do like a like a my dinner with Andre type thing with you and, you know, we could catch uh, up on all these I years. I thought it would be kind of a kind of well, just, you know, I'll let you'll have a final overseeing. I thought of we could the, be adults about this and discuss things maybe, but in a sort of more of a private form, I thought this was going to be. Well, then you know what? I'm turning the microphones off right now. All right. Okay. Click. All right. They're off. Are they off? Or are you just saying click because the red light is still on? Uh, just that's the red light. That's all right, the you off know what? Light. Forget it. We'll just, you know what? Who cares? Uh, tell, tell me. Tell me, I'm Andrew. Fine. I'm Andrew. fine. Andrew. Yeah. For however old you are, 60-something, you look wonderful. Thank you. You don't look so bad yourself. Thank you. I know I may have gained a few hundred pounds, but I feel still feel I have the kind of, you know, you I, had, I can hide it. If I'm going a little bit too far back here, uh, correct me, but um, do you want to, for the recording's sake and the, the sake of the setting, um, tell everyone what you're wearing at this moment? Uh, well, my travels have taken me a lot of places. And probably my most cherished memory is why I'm wearing this right now. And it's something I was hoping you would ask about so I could share it with you. I am wearing an orange Shaolin monk robe that was given to me by the Shaolin monks. They accepted me as a brother. And I spent a beautiful six hours there training with them mm. learning from them and they gave me the robe by which i mean they did never asked for it back and you can see i'm wearing these and i'm wearing the classic um original flu game jordans here black and red flu game jordans that i've been wearing you finally got them huh finally got them cost me about, about six six figures i've been talking about these flu game jordans for a while and as soon as i bought them they said okay let's get a uh you know environment that's air free so they won't degrade and we can take care of these and i said absolutely not if i'm spending a hundred thousand dollars on some tennis shoes i'm gonna wear them every single day right of course and well they look they look wonderful on you and you as ever so stylish uh, thank so you. So ahead of everything. Right. And um, my traditional so, bowl cut is still there. And, and so, tell, comfortable, tell me. so comfortable in what you wear and your style. Um, as you can see, I find it interesting that you're wearing that Shaolin robe because, you, as you can see, what I wore today is a golden tang suit. And oh, my this goodness. Is a traditional Chinese attire for um, men. Right. As you can see. I just find it strange that we both seem to. <laughs> become obsessed with the orient yeah <laughs> time well, away from each other and well, uh, we're both wearing uh asian clothing despite neither of us being asian and what's um, the what's the name of that that triangular hat you're wearing seems to be chinese almost like uh something a farmer would wear could you tell me more about your triangular chinese farmer hat um, this is a hat that a worker in the rice fields would wear to protect oh my them goodness. from the sun. That's, be um, that's beautiful. But I actually got this one in um, California. Ah, China too, as they call it now. Well, as well now it's called New California, but um, we'll right. talk about that later. Uh, and as you can see, I'm not wearing, um, you know traditional shoes i have my gator boots on oh beautiful you made do you do you know that what this what these are made of right this is alligator right yes but it's not any alligator it's the alligator that we killed all those years ago oh at the my zoo. god they yes. let us go into the pit <laughs> they let us well uh, they let you i didn't really right i kind of held him i kind of held him still no but you, you held you lined up that magnum listen, at his head if, and uh, you just went for it I mean, they did, they said, you want to go see Gator? And I'm like, yeah. And, you know. And then they're like, well, do you want to kill it? And, and I we said, said, of course. Of course. And, you know, I had my gun with me right there. I beat the metal detector. And, um, you know, with my 3D printed plastic gun that I always carry on me. I got it on me Your right 3D now. 3D Magnum. Yeah. My, my, my plastic printed 3D Magnum. And, you know, even though I got the kill, you definitely got the assist. So our KDA remains the same. And now I have the boots, which yeah. you didn't know about. 
I didn't know. I didn't know you kept that much but of the gator over there. But you could hear me as I walked down the path towards um, <laughs> this beautiful restaurant <laughs> that you own here. I walked on the path that you could see. You could see in the horizon a bunch of hills lined right. up against each other. And I'd crest one, and then you'd see me descend it, and I'd <laughs> rise up the second one. you see my shadow in the horizon. And the whole time you heard clip, clop, clip, clop. Yeah, I've been watching clop. you walk for like 30 minutes. And the whole time I heard you hearing that, I heard you doing that introduction, which is... Yeah, well, it took a while. Well said. Thank you. Um, but I'm just, this. it's been a long walk. Um, as you know, you guys here don't allow vehicles back here, so I had to walk the whole way, but I am right. thirsty. I, oh, please, let me get the, um, let me get the, uh, the waiter for you here. Um, uh, do you mind um, this? Let me tell you a little bit about Overther Vineyards. It's and you said I'm the owner, and unfortunately, no, just my good friend's the owner here, uh, Mr. Overthor. And um, not Mr. Overthor, yeah. Yeah, this is a famous vineyard here in Terre Haute, in Indiana wine country, and primarily they're famous for their rosé. Now, how much do you know about rosé? Um, I know it is a. Pink wine. Correct. You are a hundred percent correct. It is a pink wine. It's not it's rose, it's not rose. Right, it's not rose. Uh, well well the, it's called rose in America. In French they call it rose, which do you know who it's named after? Um I mean I'm I have not really any clue. I would say maybe Sonic's girlfriend. You're absolutely right. Sonic's girlfriend, the child, hedgehog, Amy Rose. Is the, what rosé was named after. And do you know how to make rosé? And they make the best rosé here. How was it made? Did they, did they use roses? Nope. Uh, that's a common misconception that they think rosé is made out of roses. In reality, think about the color. It's a pink wine. Mm-hmm. Now, simply, you have to make white wine. And then you have to make red wine. And they make red, white, and white, red wine and white wine here. And they make the best red wine and white wine in the world. But they use it all to make their famous rosé, which is 50% white wine and 50% red wine. Aha. Let me get a bottle for the table, and, and this is what servers absolutely love. Just, just, they're not looking yet. Can just you help snap me snap? At them. Just snap it on my... Garçon! Garçon! Uh, oh, here he comes. Okay. Yes, sir. I would like your biggest bottle of your fanciest rosé, or as they call it in the boudoir, rose. And you know what? I, I, I can't wait for that arrive. And, and, and you really gonna you really gotta stir it around. You really gotta smell it. Ah, here it is. Ah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just open it right here. Oh, uh, you can smell it. That from classic there. noise that the wine bottle makes. Classic wine bottle. And pour yourself. You gotta in let it breathe, right? Uh, n- incorrect. Moment. You do not let it breathe. And also, I've noticed <laughs> you've only filled your wine glass about a third of the way. It's funny how after all these years, you're still obsessed with not letting things breathe. Never. Hmm. hmm well, that's for, you know. Let's not talk about that right now. Off mic, maybe. Okay. Well, let me. Um, let me. T- uh, I want. I need you to keep. Mm, po- this smell. This smells like wine. It's it's counterintuitive. Is this but, a rosé? Oh yes, it's a rosé. Good nose. Wow. Guess it's, you've been busy um, it has since hints we have of. Talk. I'm getting hints of a uh, white. Maybe a, you a, put your whole a nose Chardonnay in or a Riesling and a red. Maybe mm-hmm. a Merlot or a Cabernet. Exactly um, correct. Both and, of them. Wow, this is all right. Well, let me take now. This let me let me sip. give you some tips real quick on on this now. You filled your wine glass only about a third of the way, and I'm going to need you to fill it all the way to the brim there, right to the rim. It seems counterintuitive because if you move it at all, it'll spill, but that's just called inherent vice. It's expected in the wine game. There's supposed to be a certain amount of loss expected. Now, when you were smelling it there, you were pretty good. You were smelling it good, but you actually need, once it's filled up all the way, you dip your nose into the wine to smell it. Okay, let me up. And just, yeah, top yourself off there. And don't fight it. If you have to puke or cough, just let it go. Wow, something completely different. You just, I think it went up my nose. Exactly. You can really tell the white and the red. 
together. I see you're swirling it in your glass. What? What is the purpose? Oh, um, you swirling it. You swirl swirling it. it this whole time. You swirl it, right? And if you swirl it enough, you can stink up the whole restaurant, right? And then everybody's going to look at you, and they're going to look at your big, fancy bottle of wine. And all these fucking Indiana hillbillies are going to know there's some real fucking New York hotshots here ready to spend you, some can, fucking can you, money. Can I ask you another question? Is Well, there's no hillbillies around here. You wouldn't let those filthy people on your, your land here. Well, Or yes. Mr. Overthur's land. Well, we're looking um, down on Terre Haute. Those people we... would be shot on sight just crossing the border. Oh, of course. Of course. Of um, course. And you know, when Mr. I know Overthur, just about 20 years ago, terraformed um, this part of Indiana. Right. Um, you know, he gave it mountains. He gave it um, little seas and a uh, little strange. He gave it a desert, a um, right. tundra. Right. Um you know, every, incredible technology. Every biome. Essentially, this was technology that was made to colonize Mars, and Mars is far away, and we got bored. Oh, well, he still has so much, you know, enormous wealth. He, he thought, you know, why not try it here? Anyway, um, I saw as you swirled your wine, you kept taking out of your pocket, connected to a gold chain that's attached somewhere in your your pocket as well you keep you keep pulling out a barometer checking the barometer what is the purpose oh well that's just a simple winesman trick that's what you call yourself if you're a uh, a purveyor of wine wineman right and so if you're a wineman you check constantly the barometer if there's a lot of pressure then you might lean towards a lighter wine. If there's a little pressure, you lean towards a heavier wine. And this also works with food pairing. Let's say you're having deconstructed Hot Pockets. You might have a light near wine, near white wine. Still a rosé. They only have rosé here. Whereas if you're eating something like mm, soft pretzels filled with cheese, you might lean towards a redder rosé. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do, but it just a little bit taken back here. All these years I knew you, you hated deconstructed food. You didn't like wine. You hated talking about wine. Oh, uh, well. You didn't like small meals that you could eat in one bite that cost $300. I love tapas. Right. No, you hate tapas. Well, that was the old me, you know. People change, Andrew. You know, you're going to have to... Just understand certain things about me now aren't the same. Um, so it seems. You know, long gone is this, you know, mid-Missouri dipshit that, you know, stuffed his mouth full of skull and tried to build jumps in his backyard for his four-wheeler at the age of 26. I'm a little bit more sophisticated now. i traveled the world. I've, frankly, I've grown up, and it was about time. Uh, let me ask you, Andrew, what's changed with you since I saw you last? It's been a, it's been a long ten years. What have you been up to? Well, I, I mean, where do we start? It, should we start where we left off, or should we, should I just tell you a little bit about? Well, we want to start from the beginning. We might be here all night when we met Matt Dunscap. Uh, commercial for that phrenologist. He measured our skulls and said we're the two dumbest men he's ever met in his life. Ever well, since then. And now I'm looking straight at the camera. If you got time, I've got time. <laughs> Might have to order another bottle or two of rosé. Oh, how the wine talks. Oh, how the wine talks indeed. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that could be a good title So where for this. were we the last time we saw each other? <laughs> Why'd you make that noise? Just, just, just talk about. Well, just tell, them the, tell them the story. We were at the funeral. Or, I'm sorry, it wasn't a funeral, was it? It was a wedding. Same thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> or we're, maybe it's the other way around. I'm not sure. Right. No, I, I, I remember it now. It was the baptism of our mutual friend's child. Um, I believe that's Connor Ayton, Clinton Bush. Those two dynasties met up and had a child, and we were there in the room celebrating with the rest of the big wigs and important people of the world. You're already on my nerves. You had 20 hams already, and you had sucked me in the shoulder 
Uh, I Seven was, times. I was doing my trademark bullying and 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 ham sucking, putting them down. Uh, I was worried that a baptism wouldn't have enough liquor, so I brought my own cooler. And it turns out they don't allow any liquor, so I was even smarter than I thought. And you had just brought your new girlfriend. Ah, uh, yes. Now I remember. What was her name? You know very well what her name was. You can say it. You were dating a synthetic humanoid with the personality and AI of IBM's Deep Blue put inside of it. Decided to make her a woman, thinking her interface would be more user-friendly. And throughout time, she developed some kind of separate intelligence, became sentient. And shortly after, you began dating Deep Blue. And I immediately knew she wasn't the one for you. So you thought she loved me. She loved you, but you know what, Andrew? Where is she now? Because I'm here. We both knew she wasn't She would still be here if you hadn't... If you hadn't... She wasn't even good at chess. I beat her every single time we played. The (laughs) stuff was messed up. Uh, So it always said she won, but it was always on her interface. Of course, she's going to say she wins. She wasn't good at chess. She wasn't good enough for you, Andrew, and that's that. She doesn't have to be good enough at chess. She wasn't... You don't understand. You didn't have to push her down with that hockey stick. (laughs) Listen, my first plan of just trying to run antivirus software at her didn't work. You you didn't have to climb up on a table and say lights out, then elbow (laughs) drop her. I said lights out, robot, and I elbow dropped her from the top, yes. And I was a different man back then. And And then you chugged beer, and you gurgled it in your mouth, and you spit it on her, frying her circuits. I got it right in her USB port like I said I would. (laughs) But I don't understand. If they wanted to make a robot, why wouldn't they make it ready to defend itself? Because there was no joy. Because she was a pacifist being. It was was the same thing as the alligator. You, think you never thought any, any human woman was good enough for me, so I thought maybe, just maybe, he'd be okay with this. I thought... You know what? Listen, none of it was good enough for you. Because I, you said none of it was good enough for me. I am 68 years old, and I have watched you strut bimbo after bimbo through your life, like the Lazario you are, and each one more stupid and useless than the last. And when I say they're not good enough for you, that's because you're a prince you need to be on a coin you need to be kept in a small room away from everyone because you are perfect and that's why i did it maybe i don't want to be locked up all my life being protected well you've had 10 years of freedom how has it gone for you well after we sort of left the show and sort of sold the rights to it to louis ck to louis ck we I mean, I uh, I sort of wandered around for a bit, um, you know, doing random stuff. I got into professional gaming for a while. Congratulations. As many celebrities did. You did, too. You remember. Well, but then I swore off of video games after the mass exodus of people transferring their consciousness to Fortnite 2, yeah. including their kids. And also because, you know, first-person shooters were banned and only used for military training, but... During the console wars. (laughs) I left show business and I started a company that recruits former and reformed gamers and we would make them into physical machines. Oh. It was called Shrimp without an I. What does that stand for? It's private. How are you going to drop an acronym on me and not tell me what it stands for? Well, it wasn't an acronym. It was kind of just a... Shrimp? A startup. Yeah. I heard you got Tifu for that. Yeah, and he we got him up to about uh, 320 pounds, solid muscle, <laughs> 1% body fat. I thought you were literally saying you turned them into machines, like robots with guns attached to them. Well, you're getting ahead of me. So we started training actors for roles, and soon, 
you know, I would meet my future ex-wife, um, the girl, the girl from Riverdale. <laughs> Riverdale was that that show for children and babies? No, it was um, not that. Um, and then after nine eleven two, as you know, things changed significantly. You know, Israel was uprooted and the entire country was moved to North America, just north of the New York City Canyon, Mm -hmm. where New York City used to be. Right. Um, The country was formed into the United States and New California, respectively. Yeah. Um, We were under martial law. Every teacher, doctor, and even bus driver was a cop. Yep. I remember those days. Almost everybody was a cop at that point. And those were uh, those were good times. I was able to avoid service, thank God, to my um, multiple DUIs I accrued in the 2040s and the um, my college years. Well, Amazon Raytheon had their eyes on our company for some time. Right. And they gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. A million dollars. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> Can't refuse that. <laughs> Well, they I'm, needed resources. They needed resources to create these super soldiers, right? Right. Combining like the most peak physical condition people with, you know, you know, augmentations. So we were literally living in Deus Ex. We we're giving people right. limbs, new eyes, new trench coats, new ears, trench gla- coats, wrap sunglasses. around black sunglasses. Um, um, there was vaguely well, ethnic antagonists. You you were still sort of in the spotlight, and uh, you yes. did a lot of marketing for <clears throat> well, for this campaign, and the whole time you're dressed up as one of the Matrix twins. Right. And, you know, the thing is, there's nothing as lonely, and this is kind of a feeling I started pouring into my novels, as being a solo Matrix twin. Well, that's when you kind of became this icon. You were on sort of these posters that were like, join the fight, and there was a picture right. of you. And there, it was sort of like you were alone, but everyone knew you weren't because they were with you. And well, you I think the whole idea of it subconsciously is that you're supposed to feel pity for a solo Matrix twin who has lost his other twin. It's never really stated, and it's never really said any lore reasons. Basically, I was just dressed up as a solo Matrix twin. And my favorite part of it was having to get dreadlocks, because I've always wanted them. And I finally was able to get them. And it's incredible, because, you know, white people can't actually get... Right. actual dreadlocks our hair just kind of becomes gross and matted and right. not real dreadlocks but, but thanks to monsanto corporation i was able to have some gene therapy that was able me to grow and uh have the hair necessary to grow real dreadlocks that makes me wonder i wanted to ask you do you still regret being the first man to have miller high life be genetically altered to be part of your dna i mean it's hard to say because you're literally part miller high life Right. And, you know, it's a, it's a complex question of, you know, what does it mean to be a human anymore? You know, what does it well, mean to be a man? Am I more man than beer? And, you know, just because I, ha- I have 5% Miller High Life DNA, does that mean I'm 95% of the human as you? Or does that make me even more human? It raises some questions that in the upcoming years that we're going to we're going to have to answer. Possibly. During those wars, those campaigns and conflicts, you know, they had to find new ways to create new soldiers. They needed these new resources to create those super soldiers after about 80% of the U.S. military was killed by Iran. Yeah, they finally did it. They've been threatening to do it for 60 years. Well, they kept warning us for so long, saying, don't don't try anything, don't try anything with don't us. Don't tread on and me. And then we, we don't invaded tread on them. Me. And they killed probably two billion. Yeah, soldiers alone. That's before we even got to the civilian damages. You know, and then there was after the tragedy of when that child drove a mech suit to school. Mm-hmm. They decided instead of banning them, why don't we give every kid a mech suit? Right. So uh, then kids were literally growing up in mech suits. Right. And then you're just spawning soldiers. Right. From the ground up. And I, you know, after they made that offer, I kept some of my shares. 
But I decided to retire from the corporate world, and I had my eyes set in politics. Oh, wow. How'd that go for you? As you know, I served as Secretary of Soda for many years. That was under President Biederman? It was. Oh, wow. Those were some high-profile years. I remember seeing you on the television a lot. Um, The New Republic administration did a lot of good work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know... I really just remember a lot of those press conferences um, during the Coca-Cola versus Pepsi debates. And as Secretary of Soda, you were supposed to remain neutral. But as everyone knows, if Pepsi's open for four hours, it's useless. For Coke, you can well, leave open for days. It came, out, it came out that I, in private, I didn't know I was being recorded, admitted that Dr. Pepper is better than both. Right. Which it is. It's, Which, you know, the second you know, oldest soda in America... And it was leaked by Barks Root Beer. <laughs> Barks? Barks has, it, Barks has bite. Barks? I thought it was called Bangs. Read the can. Bangs? No, bangs that's, Root Beer. That's cursive. No, it says Bangs. Look it. You well, have a can right here. Either, <laughs> yeah, yes, I have a can on me. I love uh, Barks Root Beer. But as you can see, that's an obvious cursive R. Cursive is ancient. No one uses that. Yeah, well, it's, they're traditionalists, all right? Either way, we know A&W is the best root beer. No, it's not. Barks is way better. I mean, right. Bangs. See what you do to me? Bangs has bite. Is that the slogan? Either way, you were Secretary of Soda, so I'm a little disappointed. And, and you know, you had to resign when President Biederman killed all those kids. Well, we don't have to go down that, that path. Right. You were and you were busy after after you were um, secretary of soda. What'd you what'd you even do? You had a lot of time to kill, right? Well, you know, I got into uh, as as I am now. I'm still working in it. I got very involved in philanthropy, something oh, I always good for wanted you. to do. You always had such a kind soul. You no, know? I haven't. Yeah, I attribute you. that to just to just you know, you've always been a good person and you've always cared about people. And that's because you were a pussy who was raised homeschool. And not that there's anything <laughs> bad about that, but that's why you're so nice and you don't have kind of the business acumen to make it in the real world. Well, I accrued all this wealth from my, um, you know, selling my company for a million dollars. That was quickly turned into about... Um, about a $63 trillion about, dollar about company. About six right. Um, but those shares really, really, you know, set me, set me up. Um, and I've used my, my wealth to try to give back. And, you know, I've been giving money for many years to universities such as, you know, Penn State, OSU, MSU, to help them maintain their Liberty, traditions. Yeah, their Liberty image. University. Um, Arizona State. Right. Um, Kent State when they had another attack after all right. that time. Kent State, too. Um, it's important to me that young at- academics, they all get to, you know, live in these beautiful mansions that are hundreds of years old and look right. like absolute shit inside because no one takes care of them. Right. Um, and, you know, due to decades of abuse. But it's part of our tradition is to harbor, you know, rapist freaks so they right. can go play in the NFL and our sports programs may continue. Right. You know, if the top athlete kills someone while driving drunk. Yeah. You know, Let multiple go. times they do it. You know, we can easily sweep these things away. Blame as it on happen. concussions. So these people join these, you know, Greek life. These kids join. Right. They give their own money to join. And then yeah. they'll also philanthropists such as myself contribute money right. to maintain these um, you know, these little breeding grounds for Psychos. sociopathic yeah. rapists, killers, whatever you want to call them. As soon as you join a fraternity, we all know they get that big syringe that's full of the warrior gene. And they shoot it right into your neck. And guess what? You right into the spine. Right. In between the <laughs> right. lumbar. Right into the spine. Right. Into the subepidural space. And right. Just, they shoot it right in there into the brainstem. And yeah. what it does is it completely... It's, it's kind of amazing, the science behind it. It completely right. just wipes their mind right. of any sort of morality. Yeah. Just completely. Um, you become a regular psychopath. You're just fucking, you know... Earthworm Jim on a planet full of monsters, and you're blasting, you know. And that's and those are the leaders of the of tomorrow and today, really. Right. And that's it's and, important to me that we contribute these 
to these traditions and we maintain you know these private organizations where this stuff has been going on right. for forever and it needs to go on forever right and well, um it's very important to me that i have completely abandoned my convictions or my youth and right have, um, oh. i've sort of moved on to more realistic it really views. helps right and you know right, yeah. i remember us being young and talking about you know we're going to change the world you know, with our insightful, ironic comedy, people are going to see what's wrong by us setting, you know, a wrong example. Oh, yeah, like, and, oh, and, capitalism's yeah, bad. Yeah, right, capitalism. Oh, politicians are and then, bad. And then guess what? You grow up. And, and you see how things how they are. You, you see things how racist. they are. You become racist. You become homophobic. Anything that's different, you scared is scary to you. You <laughs> do you say it, you scowl at it and you don't you scowl you're at like, it. Well, I don't know about that. You don't like you people saying you, you, you aren't. Uh, you tell people to settle down that they're doing too much. You know, you you just get in arguments, and then you say, you know, stop yelling. You you tell people to stop yelling when they're not yelling at you, and then you walk away. And you won the argument. Right, right. And it's so freeing to kind of grow up a little bit and see this cold, brutal universe where somebody will crack somebody in half in front of you, and you're thinking of, you know, can I take his corpse and make a dollar off of it? Because that's what, that's it's when I know you're survival of the up. fittest. Right. It's in our genes. Right. And if it's not to in your genes... To get one over on if it's the not lesser in, man. If it's not in your genes, we will inject it into your genes if you join a fraternity. Right. Because this this world is ran by the elite, and if you're not elite, then you're just a you know. Right, and if you join a sorority, you get bimbified. No questions asked. No questions asked. And no parties may be thrown in a brothel after eight p.m. because it can legally be, legally be considered a brothel. Right. So don't you get caught doing right. It. Um. So anyway, um. No, I'm 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 happy you to know, see you've been doing good. I'm 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 really I'm really proud of you. I always thought that you know it was my job to protect you, and and kind of seeing you go your own way is is so. Well, if you feel that way, are you are you ready to apologize? Yeah, um, you know, in my youth, I in my youth at the age of you know fifty, <laughs> where I brutally destroyed your girlfriend with a hockey stick and beer i always thought i was doing the right thing and then halfway through thinking that while i was systematically taking apart your girlfriend i thought this is fun badass and you know that's kind of where i was at at that point in time and i'm not saying what i did was right or trying to make excuses for it but i broke your robot girlfriend down and easily destroyed her in what took three minutes. You didn't show any remorse at the time. You laughed about it. You went to put your arm around your girlfriend at the time, the green M&M, mm -hmm. and you, you just thought it was a joke. Well, you know, the green M&M was going through a lot of substance abuse problems at the time, and I was... She was laughing, too. Yeah, she was a real psycho bitch, and she, was, she got really into the Joker and started saying, go Joker on him all the time. And, you know, she, she, you know, I would say, you know, I'm not going out tonight. I'm not going out well, tonight. Well, the, the paparazzi is all over. She would just they would see. Right. Yeah. The, the she would show up with keys to a four-wheeler and say, you know. Right. You know, you only live once. YOLO. And I'd say, oh, okay. And I would just tear ass in that four-wheeler. But, you know. The paparazzi was all over saying you guys got engaged and all that. And the green <sighs> M&M would be riding on the back of your, your quad that you'd drive in the street. Wearing her Joker makeup, right? <laughs> and but the you whole know, time you're wearing your Zubas and your Timberlands, all right? Or whatever. My Tims and, and your, my Zuba. Your big chain was bouncing all around, all right? My big gold chain with the emblem on the end of me as the Black Panther, <laughs> which you know I had to sell. But um, yeah, I, I grew up a lot during that time, and inevitably, me and the green M and M broke up when I put her in some ice cream and I ate her. So. You know, I had a lot of chance to reflect, and you know, I've been writing, and you know, I've had some success. You've been doing writing. That. That's right. And, you well, just just you're some, a bestseller. Yes, uh, best-selling academic author. You know, uh, I've read your stuff, right? Oh, you know, but you, I'm glad. I understand you're writing something new. Well, you know, before any of that, I'd just like to tell you that Andrew, I'm sincerely sorry that I destroyed your girlfriend, Deep Blue, and 
possibly ruined what you guys had together. And I think that it's taken a long time for me to accept, but I think there is a girl out there that's good enough for you. And I think it's literally any good girl that you choose to be with. Wow. And I, I think, think it's too late for me. I think I'm, I think at the ripe old age soon. of 58, <laughs> I think you're ready <laughs> to finally have a girlfriend without me messing it up for you. Well, I can tell you this. I'm, grateful that's all you needed to tell me before i know i'm not expecting anything i i don't see anything coming my way in that sense oh come on you're a great guy there's plenty of girls here if there were to be some that come along there is no way you would ever know about her okay that's fair i promise you that that's fair well i'll find out but i won't do anything (laughs) um but thank you um but I mean, you see that guy enough. Over- enough about me. Enough about my, you know. I don't care about all that. I've been over it for a long time. I just wanted to know that you were aware of what you did to me back then, because I would message you, I would, I would text you or email you saying, you know, are you ready to talk? And you just, you know, you'd send me a recording of you farting or you right. just puking burp or- at me or. I sent you a lot of audio recordings of my toilet flushing and, um, you know, me sitting you, you on the... Sent t- me a, you sent me a, a video, <clears throat> I remember, that really... Uh, Which video? That really that really stuck with me. Well, you were... You're getting a new gaming computer, as I understand, and you you took your old one as when I was still plugged in, and you took a video of you <laughs> peeing all over it for several minutes and... There's probably seven or eight minutes you're peeing the whole time. Straight, right? And laughing. Yeah. And you said you're saying in the video laughing at the top of your lungs and you're going, It's deep blue, it's deep blue. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, that was it. And that was me. only two days after you did that, so But you know how hard it is to laugh and pee for seven minutes straight. Pretty hard. Well, yeah, but that's aside the I thought you would like it, I'm sorry. Well, we can move along now. Um Enough about that. My relationships in my romantic life, or a lack of it thereof. Um, why, why don't you tell me a little, about, a little bit about what you've been up to, your writing, and, and, and all that. I want I want to know. I, I, I've missed you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I missed you too, man. Well, um... Let's not get gay now. All right, well, sorry. I just wanted you to come by and say I miss you and sorry for killing You're all fancy. I know you're all fancy, and you're a... I've a, learned a, a lot. ...reformed you know? gentleman, and... Ian. And I am too. And uh, like I, I walk in here, and you have uh, "Spring" by Vivaldi playing the whole time. The whole repeat. time. It's the, the whole time. It's the class. The most song. fancy song. It's the classiest song. Everyone knows. In a classy joint, it should be the only thing that plays. It's and you just know that um, when it's playing, there's going to be a shot of a waiter carrying a giant platter and bursting right. through the kitchen right. doors out right. to the dining hall. Right. Not checking to see if anyone's coming. His tiny French wrists struggling under the strain of four and his roasted nose chickens. Stuck straight up in the air, like he's not even a fart. looking where he's walking. His eyes shut completely. Inexplicably, the, the tails on his coat are so long. It's in, in, in an, an amazing feat. He doesn't trip upon them. Inexplicably carrying a large white towel, and then he places the platter down, and he. L- whisks away the lid the silver lid maybe it's stainless steel or maybe it's actual silver and you see a giant golden bird yeah with the legs cuffed with white <laughs> those little white things and it's steaming and there's little greeneries around it and yeah the scents just instantly sail into our noses as we go and it goes Ooh, now something smells good the old me would have instantly made that fancy French waiter aghast by taking the bird and dipping it into my mouth and removing a clean picked chicken skeleton. But now the fancy me, the enlightened me, I will simply eat one eighth of that chicken and throw the rest away. Well, you've actually learned how to dine. Mm hmm. You know, well, rule number one is don't order a whole bird. 
That's what, what I, are your favorite what are your favorite meals now? Your favorite dishes? Ah, uh, well, um as every fancy man enjoys, I eat a lot of pate. No one knows why, but you eat pate first. And you put it on a cracker and you pop it in your mouth. Pate well, all is these, all those foods you have here are all just I don't know what they are. It's a little bit of something on a giant like a, white plate. I got some beef tartare here. Which is, okay. This is ground beef that uh, gets put into a blender, I think, and put on your plate on top of a bed of butterleaf lettuce or something. And then there's a sprig of parsley to remind you of, you know, color contrast. And sometimes they crack a big egg in it just to make fun of you. That's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough food. Well, which is why I also have over here some snails. Very French. Ooh, that's very funny. Right. That's very funny to eat bugs. Well, it's not... That's more in your old style. Well, but the old me would eat snails all the time, but I wouldn't cook them and I'd cover them in salt. But now I eat snails as they're supposed to be eaten, where they cost well, you used to about take a snail $7 or a slug a snail. and you'd, you'd salt it and you go, die, bitch, die. And you're like, I got you now, I got you now, and right. laugh and you'd slurp it down. Right. Right. You know, I used to do that. I used to dip it in my beer. I used to try to get the snail drunk before eating it because I thought it made it taste better, you know? I used to say, if you, you bring you me said a bug, I'm marinating him. Look, at, I'm marinating I him. I used to eat crickets that I found. I used to try to get bed bugs on purpose. You know, I used to do tons of stuff because I thought it was funny. But now, I've been to Tibet. I've been to Machu Picchu. I've done push-ups in the Hanging, Babel- hanging Gardens of Babylon. I have climbed Tutankhamun's tomb and gotten there and rummaged around, you know? I've done these worldly things, you know? So now, I don't think it's funny to eat a cricket. I don't think it's funny to shit in the top deck of a toilet. I don't think it's funny to pee in the sink. I don't think it's funny to, you know, maybe have a Tupperware container full of mold that you make your friends smell when they fall asleep. I don't think it's funny to pee your pants. I don't think it's funny to push over a porty potty, you know? I don't think it's funny to drive in puddles and get a bunch of people wet, you know? I don't think that stuff funny. I don't think it's funny to take a shit in maybe an authority figure's purse. I don't think that's funny. I don't. I don't think that's funny. I'm looking, thinking about it right now. I'm not even smiling. I think it's immature. And now here's the stuff I do, do think Do you think it's funny. funny to cup a fart in your friend's face while he's driving? Absolutely not. I don't think it's funny to fart in a jar and in the sealed jar and leave it out to see if anybody would ever open it. I don't think that's funny. Even on a heater? I don't think that's fu- <laughs> I don't think that's funny, dude. I don't think that's funny. You know, here's what I think is funny. Um, I like... Well, the last thing you... Humorous essays. I, talk- I like New Yorker cartoons... Where I do you can remember that one? Caption. Do you remember that special many years ago, many decades ago? Nanette. I love I Nanette. I love that's Nanette. That's funny, dude. I've never. I didn't laugh once. It was my favorite comedy of all time. Well, you said the best comedy now is where everyone claps. Right. The best comedy is where everyone claps. Where somebody lectures you for an hour and then you clap at the appropriate times. That's the, what's funny to me now. I like stuff that's made to make you feel bad and stresses you out. Because you work, you know, a week and you, you get tired and you want to watch some comedy. You go around, you see you see homeless people all over the place asking you for money. You see families all over who are definitely on welfare or some kind of aid. And clearly one of the parents is an alcoholic or an addict. And the kids are, you know, wearing hand-me-down clothes. And they look a little bit happy but kind of sad. And the parent is still doing their best. And you see this and you go around... And um, you see all these problems going around, and you you're tired from work, and you work all the time, and and then you just want to go home, and you want to watch you want to get yelled at where, where they talk about more problems and why you should feel bad about that too, and you should just feel like shit all the time. You shouldn't enjoy anything, right? Um, really, you should say like when someone brings up when you talk about something you like, um, it's great when someone tells you why it's actually bad. Right. Uh, because that reminds you that we're all human. And, and we all have a lot of growing to do. And you're not good enough. And you should, you should, you know, there's no hope for any of us that we should just, you know, lean into this nihilistic view and give up and just, you know, be so be so sad and cry at everything right. that we see. Oh, my God, I'm crying right. at this. Comedy you nowadays. You just be crying all the right. time. Comedy nowadays is a TED Talk without PowerPoints. And that's what it should be. It should make us better. You should I'm trying you to sh- think of oh, we've lost so many years. 
Mm-hmm. We were pagans for a while, right? Yeah, we were pagans. we were pagans. Yeah, we were pagans. We were pagans. Well, what was your you, name? Um, I was... Uh, You're like Moon something? Uh, Rolando Moonblade. You kept saying I couldn't be Rolando. Not... You would wear dresses, which is really... Well, they're... Yeah, the big pennant, you wear dresses. dress. robes. If a man you wears it, a like robe. You smell like some kind of sage or patchouli or something. Uh, I tried to get nightshade... Because I thought it'd make you me, your but it's just poison, ears. dude. It's just poison, so I can. Yeah, you're puking all week. Yeah, but I thought it'd make me stronger because I saw it in Luke Cage. Well, yeah, I mean, the pagan thing didn't work out, but I'm just right. trying to think. We had all those. You had a. We were doing the. You're in. You're in several. I mean, this is a little bit after I had left the business, but <clears throat> like I said, you're still in the pot spotlight. Oh. This rosé talks. Oh, oh, how the wine talks. But you're in several of the live-action adaptations of Looney Tunes, where they're yeah. kind of, like, gritty. I was Foghorn Leghorn. Um, they're those gritty, that gritty boot. Yeah, in the know? gritty reboot of Foghorn Leghorn, of in the Looney Tunes, right? Like Por- He's divorced? Porky Pig was a banker, and Foghorn Leghorn... Foghorn Leghorn's divorced, He was right? a divorced Klansman. <laughs> He was a divorced Klansman that owned a fried chicken. Trying to find his way back, right? right? Yeah, he owned a he owned and a. And he chick- was a cop. Yeah, he was a cop Klansman who owned a chicken restaurant. He owned a Chick Fil A. Right, he owned a Chick Fil A, and uh, you know he was a racist cop that was a. Klansman. He was trying to struggle with his racism right. and his homophobia, owning a Chick Fil A, right? And um, and I don't know why they made the gritty Looney Tunes because it would be like okay in this scene. Uh, you know, they'd be telling me, and I'm in the whole Foghorn Leghorn makeup. I got the beak on. I'm wearing the whole, you know, they wanted to do CGI. I said, absolutely not. And um, so they said, you're going to walk to your chicken restaurant. Oh, you went full, like, practical yeah, yeah, makeup. You're no, like Rob Bowman and, and Hellboy. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so they're like, okay, in this scene, you're going to be running to your Chick-fil-A because you heard it's getting robbed. I'm like, okay. And you're going to step on four rakes along the time. So it's like, okay, classic Looney Tune bit. Rake, boom, boo, doo. Well, I say, I say, I say. That's the voice I use. And then another rake. Well, I say, boy, I don't make me step on them rakes. Who the hell tarnation? Put these in another one. Rake, rake, bow, bow, bow. And, you know, I get to the scene, right? So it's a, it's been established as a fairly comic scene, right? Because at this point, uh, my beak, because of so many rake hits, has been turned upward and actually flipped to the back of my head. So the front of my face kind of looks like a bowling pin. But then I see these kids playing outside of the chicken restaurant that I heard was robbed. But apparently the robbers had already gotten away. And I assume these kids that were wrestling were the robbers. And I dome them. Goosh, goosh. Two children dead on the ground right there. And then Foghorn Leghorn has to kind of deal with the repercussions of his actions. But it was very bizarre to me that they set up a very common scene. And right after that, there was a scene about, you know... Taz, who was in the NBA, like, you know, having some kind of salary contract dispute. So it was like a very mixed, weird mixture of themes. I'm very happy I, I was able to play Falkhorn Langhorn. I don't think anybody could do it as well as I could. Well, I thought you were quite good. And it was, you know, they made kind of bugs, sort of the strange sort of, you know, kind of Joker style anti-hero. Right. He's kind of like out on his own doing whatever he pleases. Right. But... They had Daffy be this, like, weird... I don't think they got the spirit of Daffy well, at all. Porky was like that, sort of like that, you know, at the police station. He was sort of like right. the sweaty detective that was always in yeah. the office. That uh, would Pepe give Le you, Pew, like... Pepe like, we all saw that he was just going to be a rapist. So that was a little... Mm-hmm. Kind of kind of crazy what they cast him, the race they cast him as. But, you know, we won't talk about that. But you're also in that, that Thomas the Tank Engine series. <laughs> that was a gritty reboot, too. And yeah. that was... That was, that was over deep. really that short was though. Because I played the, I played the red engine. I forgot what his name was, but basically within the first five seconds of me on screen, I kill myself. <laughs> we well, did a lot of good work. I well, mean, was... you know, after that, you know, I was able to kind of settle down, and retire a little bit, and then I kind of got into my writing, which I'm most proud of. Well, you had to retire from acting because you know, I mean, I don't want to, you know you know, sort of pour salt in any old wounds here, but you got butt cancer for a while. And yeah. The doctor said you were the first person they had ever seen that it actually made more strong. Right, yeah. I got prostate You're, cancer from um, from bad craft service table. Yeah. 
So and then um, there's the whole thing. There's the whole thing during the whole period. Like you're kind of like out of the spotlight, and then that's when the we actually had the first. Oh God, I can't remember. That was like 2037, the first time we had contact with extraterrestrials. Yeah, on the planet, and it was sort of peculiar because the person who got our show was Louis C.K. and he was the only person that the aliens would talk to, and he actually left with them. Yeah. And we haven't heard from them since. Yeah. Well, hopefully someday Louis comes back and, um, you know, can reduce himself to the show business world. But, um, yeah, he's hanging out with aliens now. Hopefully he's bringing back good news. Or some good jokes. Hopefully. We could all use a laugh right now. And then, like, 20, just a few years ago, like, 2054, your football team that you own. The Cleveland Browns. Sir. Cleveland Browns finally won the Super Bowl right? in 2054, <laughs> Super Bowl 88. Go Browns. And, That's and who's, the start, who's the quarterback that you were used to buy him for two years, and you said, he, this, this is my guy, this is my guy. Brock Osweiler. And, Seven feet tall, throws <laughs> the ball 500 yards, big-ass guy. Cross-eyed, can't hit the broadside of a barn, but holy smokes. He, if, a, if a throw and a pass could get you three points for a field goal, he'd get one every time, right down the middle. Boom, bang, bing. Brock Osweiler, what a stud. Well, that's also incredible because the NFL for many years now has allowed steroids and HGH mm-hmm. and whatnot, and they all look like you know these giant mutant freaks. That's why we got Johnny Manziel as running back again, baby. Peyton Hillis is <laughs> fullback. Johnny Manziel had to have both of his um, legs removed due to diabetes, but they gave him those blades. He was like Oscar Pistorius. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was, he was out there girlfriend. killing his girlfriend. That's what he was doing, like Oscar, the Pistorius. Blade Runner himself. Can you imagine that guy running at you with a shotgun? Good lord, God, That's a fucking bouncing, nightmare. doing some kind of Jesus. Qu- <laughs> He'd move like a quake person. Just yeah, he's like just... quake. He's a quake champion. He's running a quake around, champion. like Oscar. Oscar Pistorius killed his girlfriend with a lightning. Gun. <laughs> <laughs> he killed her with a with a. Uh... Well, anyway. So let, tell me about your book. Tell me about your writing. We mentioned it a few times. I know you have. Oh, you got to have something for me. Well, I just you know I prepare. I got some of my books here. Um, you remember the first book I wrote that kind of got me on the New York Times bestseller list. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, just definitely my most famous one. Got in the Oprah book book club. Uh, La Petite Homosexuale. Hmm. You, did you uh, remember that one? What that one was about? I do. It was Which when I first read it. I thought it was a bit wordy. It's a little bit wordy. It might have been. It was my rookie debut. I was eager to please. Well, essentially, it's about a summer camp, and these boys are all going to summer camp, and they're talking about who they're going to score with, how many bras they're going to steal, how many bikinis they're going to eat, all the typical teenage boy stuff. And then guess what? They get to their cabin at summer camp. And in the cupboard, they find a tiny, four-inch French homosexual man. And I'll just read a passage from it real quick. It's kind of an ending passage here. And we all learned something that summer. We came in with wide eyes, eager hearts, ready for love, and not a thought about the larger universe, our futures, or what it means to be human in our little teenage heads. We wanted to snatch bras off clothing lines. We wanted to pour cold water on girls' backs when they sunbathed sunbathed with their straps down so that when they stood up, we saw their breasts. We wanted to take an old man's boxers and fly them like a flag. But instead, we got more than we bargained for. This tiny French homosexual man, small enough that he lived in a mouse hole in our cupboard, taught me more about how to be a man than my father ever did. Au revoir, la petite homosexual. I'll never forget you. And that one netted me, you know, a cool mill. Oprah talked to me. I was able to get through the interview without saying any kind of, you know, slurs or anything. And I was able, you know, to do pretty well. And then I had another string of books come out. Um, I followed that up with uh, The Wicked Wick of Mr. Pervert. Which was, you know, that one was kind of, it was borderline a young adult novel. And so then I wanted to go the Wicked Wick of Mr. Pervert to be the kind of the opposite. When you get the magical realism, you're like, is this a, you know, 
YA novel, but... And, it, you know, it is a metaphor, because the wicked wick of Mr. Pervert, that's referring to his penis. Mm. I have a, a just a quick... I never caught on to that. Yeah. It, it's referring... The wicked wick is definitely his penis, um, of Mr. Pervert's penis. I thought he had a candle. Okay. No, well, yeah, that's kind of the thing, you know? It's kind of playing with language. Here's... I'll just read a short passage. Um, he slang his dirty dick around the room. He didn't clean it often. <laughs> So dried sweat and latent grease made it glow, but not in an effervescent, beautiful way, but more like a hot dog would look if it was cooked in vegetable oil. If Mr. Pervert's dick was sitting on a bus seat, you wouldn't move it to sit down, to say the least. That's just a quick excerpt right there. (laughs) I followed that up with uh, my novel that did the least successful ever, The Plowman's Credit Score. Which, through failures, I think you learn a little bit more than you do through successes. And the Plowman's credit score told me to go for what audience won. I'll just read a quick little passage from it here. The Plowman ditched his muddy boots at the door. His credit credit score was 720. That's all I have for that. The audience really hated that one. I thought it was pretty good. I thought I was trying something new and fresh. Tip, I mean, it was also 230 pages about credit score, and that's when I was going through a lot of financial difficulties at the time, so it was right on my forefront, and ugh, I just, you know. Um, I followed that up with um, a book that was able to get back on kind of the hit list, and that was My Abuela's Four-Wheeler. Sundays at My Abuela's Home will always be remembered. She was so kind, so bueno. I wonder if she knew just how much it meant to me that she always kept her beautiful Roja four-wheeler waiting right out front for me when I would come. And for me and her would ride it all day, kicking up dirt and mud over everyone else in our stupid family. Then I followed that one up with Candles for Jeff. Just a little quick passage here. Candles, Samantha said. Are they for me? A bitter tear slid down my cheek. How could she ever understand? The pale moon glows. It rotates slowly. And as the moon turns into the sun, morning comes. And morning brings new beginnings, metaphorically anyway, at least traditionally metaphorical. These candles are for Jeff. Oh. And then, uh, I hadn't read that one. My biggest hit ever. The second to last book I did. Um, Black Panther 2, White Panther, which is a novelization of the hit Marvel film. Wakanda forever, the spear soldier said. Wakanda forever, I said back, making the X symbol with my arms. But who was I? (laughs) Would they accept me as their Black Panther still, knowing I was white now? Could I trust my own people to be open-minded enough to think maybe the Black <laughs> Panther could be, dare I say, a gringo? And that one flew off the shelves. That was very emotional. It uh, flew off the shelves easily. The and most- then when they, they, they made that one to a movie. Um, yeah. And it, well, no, it was a it movie. Quadrupled, it quadrupled the revenue of right. Black Panther right. so, back in 2018. <laughs> so they made Black Panther 2 White Panther. And they made a movie for it. And then they hired me to make the book. And the book was so successful, they made a movie version of the book that was different from the original movie version. Right. And then the latest book I have now, it's coming out right now. I was actually hired to write this book, you know? That's kind of how it goes in the business sometimes. Uh, T. Boone Pickens, the oil tycoon in Oklahoma, uh, he hired me to write a book about him. He hired me to write him as a hard-boiled detective in Detective T-Boone in Country Fried Incest, The Pickens Files. <laughs> I didn't know how this would end, but I knew how it would begin. With a real slobber knocker in front of Cheney's Bar and Grill, my oldest pal Dick ran the seediest joint in all of Oklahoma. And when I went around busting heads looking for answers, heads answered back full force. Two bikers sized me up at the billiards table. Pretty nice cowboy hat you got there. That is Stenson, they said, pretending to be friendly. I saw this facade before. I instantly reached in my pocket for some sand and threw it in the face of the first man. He screamed, oh my God, what the fuck is your problem? 
a cunning ploy, playing innocent still. The second man I pounced on like a cornered polecat, spraying him with concentrated violence, sliding out my knife boot and gutting the guy in front of his pal, blinded, none the wiser. I instantly subdued the blinded thug by a figure four leg lock, locking him and made him bark like a dog for me. Oh my God, did you kill him? Call the slaughterhouse, dick. I got a squealer, I yelled. Tell me what I want to hear, you fuck. Are you, or tell me what I want to hear or you will fuck without a dick from now on. <laughs> and, you know, I'm hoping the sales of that one will go pretty well. But either way, he paid me a cold billion dollars to write it for him. This reminds me of Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, Very, uh... it's definitely what I was going for. Uh, <laughs> just kind of an unrestrained hillbilly dipshit. But very macho and every single violent. Yeah, every single violent thing he does never has any consequences. Because it's just established narratively that he's the good guy. Right. <clears throat> well, I'm excited for it. I I'm I'm a fan of your books and all your writing, of course. I'm very proud of you as well. Glad we were able to come out here and um have this this meeting yeah, after well. all this time. Well, Andrew, I'm, but, I'm glad you came. But, but since the waiter's not, he's not standing next to us the whole time for once. He must have, he must have gone pee or something. Like, well, do, you for real? Do you need anything? Are you, you trying? Are you, wait, come on, do you for real about all this shit? Wait, what? Are you for real? Like, come, I came, you know, I came all this way by tugboat. <laughs> Where did I have you? Several how'd you get to a tugboat, in Indiana? Where'd you come from? Uh, I came down uh, the lake. Oh, Lake Indiana. And it's full it's full of I got cases and cases. And we could just chug beers and chug it halfway and then smack it off with hockey sticks or baseball bats. No, it's temp- and we could pour beers into the lake and kick them and then pee off the boat. I don't know, Andrew. That's Come on. that's tempting, but you know that is that is the reason why I killed your girlfriend, Deep Blue, the chess playing computer. Who cares? She wasn't a real woman anyway. Yeah, uh, come on. I got a fart machine still. Come on, finish it. I have a fart machine. Do you have the fart machine? I still have it. I still have the fart machine. I didn't know they made those anymore. I I have a couple guns on me still. Look. Uh, Lord, forgive me. I'm about to go back to the old me. Oh, how the wine talks. A couple roses. Finish your wine. Finish your wine. And then, come on. Let's go grieve one last time. Oh. Garcon. Garcon. I need a couple travel roses. I'm about to commit a crime.